All righty, grab your Bibles, turn to the Gospel of John. We're going to be in John chapter 12 today. If you're with us for the first time, we have been inching our way through John's Gospel for a few months, and uh, we're at a the halfway point in the narrative. Halfway point in that John's Gospel has 21 chapters. We're in chapter 12, and so it's the natural uh, midpoint, a little bit over the midpoint. But, uh, but really, in terms of what the narrative is telling us about Jesus, um, really everything that's happened in verses uh, in chapters 1 through 11 covers about three years of Jesus' life, and he only lived, you know, his, his ministry only lasted three years. And so from chapter 12 to the very end of the book of John covers seven days. And so we are entering the chapters that will cover the last seven days of Jesus' life. And so John chapter 12, we're going to be looking at uh, the first 11 verses. If you don't have a Bible, underneath the, the middle column of seats are, are a few, we call them pew Bibles. We use the ESV. You're welcome to grab one of those, hog the person down in the end of the aisle to pass you one. John chapter 12 is on 584. You're welcome to use that. Not only use it, but if you don't have a Bible, we welcome you to go ahead and keep that as your gift from us. John 12, chapter 1 through, uh, chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. We're going to read these out loud. The words will also be on the screen. Uh, Read along with me. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one reclining with him at table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment, And made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, Many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for the opportunity to gather together as a church. And our prayer today is simple, that uh, as, you, uh, as you always do, would you meet us in our worship? Would you open uh, our eyes to what you want us to see in these words of Scripture, Lord, would you give us not only eyes to see, but ears to hear what the Spirit would have corporately for us as a church, because you're always speaking to us corporately, but individually in this passage um, as Jesus uh, engages with, with folks just like us, only centuries away. Um, we pray that under the hearing and the, the reading of your word that we would be closer to you and that you change us. In Jesus' name, and everyone said Amen. Amen. So the question we need to ask ourselves uh, this morning in regards to this passage is, is 
how much is too much? Is there anything that we can do that would go too far? I was, uh, I was, uh, you know, how we work, play on the computer sometimes, and you're just Googling things, and you not, don't really know where you're going. Well, I Google uh, extravagant pet stuff. Any of y'all pet lovers? Some of y'all, yeah, I can, we got to call pet lovers. I'm not a pet hater. I've had, I've had all kind of animals. From I've had like seven hamsters that I killed. I mean, I just didn't kill them. I mean, they, you know, hamsters die, right? <laughs> they, 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 they die. Like, you love them, and it, the next morning you wake up, they're, they're dead. All right, so I've had a lot of hamsters. I had a duck. He ran away. I've had a rabbit. He ran away. I've had several dogs. I've even had a cat that had kittens, and I wish they, I wish they, I wish they would have run away, but they didn't. Um, and and so I, I, I love animals, um, but there are some of you that are a little over the top in regards to your love of animals. And so this one site uh, that I saw, uh, the, the title of it was uh, "Over the Top: Ten Over the Top." gifts that you can give to your dog. And here's the first one. It's this. All right. It wasn't just dog. This was uh, a suit of armor for a guinea pig. The story was that a man had a guinea pig that he loved and a guinea pig died. And the man in commemoration of his guinea pig made this suit of armor and then he put it on eBay and auctioned it off. And look how much it amassed. Twenty four thousand three hundred dollars. So if you got a guinea pig, you could actually probably find this somewhere and and love your guinea pig to death. All right, next slide. This is a fairy tale dog house. It comes with multiple floors, a basement, and you can have maid service. You can take off the top and do all that you need to do in terms of cleaning it up. This is for uh, your dog who thinks he's royalty. This is from bestfriendshome.com, and it retails uh, custom made for $2,680. Next slide. This is, this has got to be my favorite of all of these little, little gifts. This is for your dog that's an athlete and, and it's one of those days, it's your off day, but your dog still needs, needs to get his workout in. And so you get him on the doggy treadmill. See spot run treadmill, only $489, $989 to the, to the, the, the biggest bidder. Thingsforyourdog.com. I actually, I mean, that's, that's clever. Next slide. This is for your, now some of y'all have dogs like this. This is for your dog that's too old to get up the steps and you, you gotta help him get up. Um, and you, I mean, you don't wanna do that. Or for your dog that's just plain out lazy. So this is the doggy stair lift. This is a prototype, so it's actually not on for sale yet, but they're assuming that they can get about $8,000 for this. Um, I don't know about that one. Next slide. Uh, this is the cutest dog amongst the crop here. Human-sized uh, Swarovski crystal-studded bathtub. And if that isn't special, I don't know what is. $3,800 from the diamondbathtub.com. Next slide. For you cat lovers, this is like a, 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 a hamster exercise wheel on steroids. The, rat, the toy go-round um, cat wheel for $375 by uh, the cat wheel company, fancy.com. Next slide. And lastly, I think this is the last one. One more slide. Is that the last one, David? All right, that's the last one. Um, I mean, what, I mean, how much is too much? Jonathan and I were driving through Kingstown yesterday, and it's not just animals that we are over the top about. We, uh, I saw for the first time a, a Tesla 
in the DC area. You guys know what Tesla is? Tesla is the, this really innovative, uh, electric, electric, fully electric car that the beginning price is $101,500. I mean, that's, the, that's, how it, that's where it begins. And I saw one right here in Kingstown. I think very much in the same way, uh, we have to ask ourselves, based upon our text today, um, can we be too much into Jesus? Is there anything in regards to Jesus, who he is, how we worship him, that might be over the top? And that really is what uh, the situation that we come into in John 12. We have this maturing group of people that have walked with Jesus, that have bought into his message, that are being discipled by him. And they encounter Jesus in very special ways, all of them responding differently in the midst of celebrating a very important event, Jesus raising his friend Lazarus from the dead. One person in this group, their their response was over the top. And of course, that's Mary. Mary does something that many people in that setting thought was way too much for her for her to do. What I would offer you is in the text today, we see Mary not just doing an event that just fills space in, in this narrative of Jesus, but what we see is, is true devotion. And that really is the direction that I'm going in my sermon today. Here's the question for us. What does it mean to be devoted to Jesus Christ? What does it mean for us to be devoted to Jesus? Verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had, had raised from the dead. Last week, John Scott preached on John chapter 11. And in John 11, we see that Jesus, Jesus literally gives new life to his old friend, Lazarus. Lazarus had gotten sick. His sisters, Martha and Mary, send word to Jesus, hey, Lazarus is sick and he might not recover from this if you don't come. And eventually, Lazarus dies. Now, Jesus um, because he had intention behind this, um, basically says these words, Lazarus is sick, but his sickness will not end in death. And those around him didn't really understand what that meant. But what Jesus was saying in, in very short words was, God is going to glorify himself and he's going to glorify me through Lazarus and all that's happening in Lazarus' life. So Lazarus dies and Jesus delays. I mean, Jesus delays. He just, he delays from going to the wake. He misses the funeral. He misses the reception with the fried chicken and the mashed potatoes and a potato salad and a green. Y'all don't y'all never been to a like party like this is what this is what my culture does after funerals. Right. Jesus misses all of that. He misses even the, the major part of the grieving of, of Lazarus death. And he comes three or four days later and he encounters Martha and Mary and and he issues to them these great words that I am the resurrection and the life. And we learned from John, John Scott last week that that's another one of the one of Jesus. I am statements. And re- in fact, those are probably the most prolific words that came out of Jesus lips out of all the things that Jesus says. And he's saying a number of things when he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. He's saying, I'm the one that actually gives you life and not just life here on the earth, but life to the full, eternal life. He goes on to say, though a man may die, he'll, he'll live forever if he, if he trusts in me. Jesus, in, in this statement to, to Martha saying, I'm the resurrection and the life, he's saying, not only am I the source of life, I'm the source of your eternal life beyond your physical death 
on earth. And of course, beyond the words, is Jesus was pointing to the fact that Lazarus' death and resurrection from the grave was a precursor to what, what happened to him in just a few days later. And so can you imagine that? Jesus goes to the tomb and, he, and with a command, Lazarus, come forth. A man who was dead is raised to life. No, nothing had ever been done like that ever. And if you're amongst the crowd of people that saw that, it, you would have been amazed by it and you would have wanted to, I mean, celebrate it. And that really is what's going on. They're celebrating the work of God that Jesus, that, you know, through Jesus, but also their friend Lazarus, who had died and was now back to life. They threw a huge party. Verse two. So they gave a dinner for him there, him being uh, Jesus, the honor, and also Lazarus, who was raised from the dead. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Um, try to imagine this scene. What John is introducing us to are different people, the people who were involved in, in the raising of Lazarus, and particularly how they responded to Jesus. And so first we have Lazarus, the guy who was dead, Jesus, you know, Jesus' friend, he was dead, now he's alive. And the text, I mean, they, it, it paints an interesting picture of, of Lazarus. Um, I mean, he's reclining next to Jesus. He's probably leaned up against him as they're, you know, that was their custom to sit on the floor and sort of lean as they were eating. He's eating hummus. He's got a pita bread drizzled with olive oil in it. And, and, and Lazarus is probably laughing his head off. There's nothing but joy in this man's heart. Why? Because he knows he was dead. And he's now alive. The second person that uh, John, the the gospel writer, introduces us to is is Martha. And every time we see Martha, she's doing what Martha always does. She's exercising her spiritual gift. And Martha's spiritual gift is serving. Martha is, I mean, she's got the the party tray. She's going around in the crowd and she's making sure that everybody's comfortable. They've got enough to eat and to drink and that the, the party is fun because she's serving. And so the way that Martha responds to Jesus is, is simply through service and activity. And, and then um, and then we see Mary. Verse three. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of uh, the fragrance of of the perfume. Now, there's a lot here and we're going to spend a little bit of time on on verse three purposefully because it's the central verse uh, in this in this text. But. If you think back to chapter 11, we've already been introduced to Martha and Mary and who they are and actually what happens. If you go back to 11, chapter 11, verse two, we're told right off the bat that it's, it's, you know, Jesus had gone to see Mary and Martha and it's this Mary that had anointed Jesus' feet with her hair. And so a, a chapter over, the gospel writer is preparing us for something very special about this lady named Mary. And what does Mary do? How does how does her encounter with Jesus and her response look every time we see her? Well, the gospel writers always show Mary responding to Jesus uh, in a very intimate way. She's sitting at his feet doing doing those things that would be uh, considered uh, on the edge of sensual, sexual. But really, she's um, she's worshiping him. She's giving him worship by tending to Jesus and serving his needs just by listening to him. And so it's, it's, it's Mary's response that lets us know 
that there's something more than just a party, a resurrection party going on. And actually, if we look into Mary's life and her actions from her, we kind of get the, the, the sense that this is not just a, a resurrection party. She knows that this Jesus is only has a few more days on earth and that he is eventually going to die for the sins of the world. We don't know how Mary knows this, but her actions uh, help us know that she knows more than even the closest disciples here in this text. I would offer to you that this is one of the most dramatic pictures of of an outward devotion to Jesus that we see in Scripture. Three things I want to pull from chapter from verse three. Firstly, that uh, devotion is costly or it's sacrificial. Devotion is uh, requires humility. And thirdly, the intimacy of devotion. So let's look at those. We're going to be in chat uh, in verse three for a couple minutes. Verse three, Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. That's a that's a weird word. Nard. I mean, it's even fun to say nard. Say it. Nard. Most of y'all have never said that word before. Right. And so um, nard was this pricey, expensive fragrant um, ointment or perfume that originated in the Himalayas. And so even to get it to the Middle East would have been, um, uh, I don't know how they would have gotten it, okay? But it was rare. And so although it, it, you had it, you could, you could find it, everybody didn't have it because it cost a lot of money. Um, it was typically stored in alabaster jars or boxes, and the alabaster was simply a type of marble. It wasn't porous. It could hold um, pure substances like like this nard and keep it uh, in its pure form. And so nard was only used for special occasions. And so Mary breaking this out says to us that she thought this was a very special occasion, not just the resurrection party, but Jesus being there and the occasion uh, of her anointing his feet with that oil. We read verse, in verse 5 that um, nart was, this particular nart was worth 300 denarii. And so there's probably a, a footnote in your Bible that says one denarii is worth a day's wage. And so think about that. She, uh, what she had in her hand that she was pouring on Jesus' feet was worth 300 days' wages. That's almost a year's salary for, for the typical person. Um, this wouldn't have been something you could just go to the kiosk at the mall um, or any any perfume store. Um, you couldn't have just gotten this nard from anywhere. I mean, this would have been like taking a trip to Manhattan, walking down the most expensive strip, you know, in, in New York City and asking for it. And the, the, the counter clerk going behind, opening up a safe and pulling out what you wanted because it was locked away. It was that expensive. Um, think about this in today's economy. Uh, we live in Northern Virginia, the DMV area. We live in the second highest regional cost of living in the country, parts of Hawaii being the top. Um, we live in the the sick. The, the, uh, we're number six on the list of the most expensive places to live. Um, the average income for our little area here, right here, Alexandria, Arlington, um, this, this area here is between 73 dollars and $86,000. That's average. So that means that some people are making way above that. Some people are making a little bit below that. But you got to make a little bit of money just to live here, right? Y'all know that. So imagine um, you're at a neighbor's house. They break out some champagne. 
And this champagne bottle costs $73,000. We'll go to low end. $73,000. What's going to happen? Your lips going to fall to the floor. It's like, oh, my gosh. I can't believe they're doing I mean, this party is way off the chain. Right? I mean, you're going to have those kind of, those kind of thoughts. And surely that's what's going on here behind the scenes. They know Nard. They would have smelled it. They would have seen the alabaster jar box. They would have known Mary's bringing out something special. Something is going on here. All right. They would have known that that was going on. And so what I'm getting at, Mary is doing something typical, but she's also doing something atypical. The, the typical thing that Mary's doing is that in this culture, first century Jewish culture, ancient Near East, they would have... Uh, If you have a gathering of people, it would have been typical to take out some perfume and um, address your people with it. Uh, Obviously, their hygiene standards were a little different than our hygiene standards are here. They didn't shower every day. Uh, Think about the Middle East, hot climate, uh, dusty environment. Uh, People walk wherever they went, and that means there's going to be body odor. Y'all read me? They stank. Okay, and so a host would take a little perfume, they little dab would do you put a little dab on the top, you know, take a little dot, drop it on your head. They rub some on your neck or just put it in your hand and have you rub it together. And that sort of lifted the stank up out of the 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 congregational atmosphere, so to speak. Um, That's not what Mary does. What Mary does is atypical in that. She doesn't just a little dab a do you. Mary takes the whole bottle, all the contents, and pours them on Jesus' feet. And then she uses her hair to sort of rub it in. Most commentators say that to, to even have this nard, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, who were brothers and sisters, they were either, uh, they had to have been wealthy. And if not that, Mary had taken what was uh, a special treasure given to her by a family member or possibly even her dowry that was supposed to be used as a gift towards her wedding. And she was giving this in worship to Jesus. Whatever she had in her hand, everyone knew because they were there and they would have known this. She had something of inestimable worth. I mean, you couldn't have put a value on it and what she was doing. And, and so Mary is saying something and not saying something in what she's doing. First of what she's saying is there's there's no cost that I'm not willing to pay. There's no price that's too high for me to worship my Jesus. There's nothing that I would not do or nothing that I wouldn't give that I have of my own person that I wouldn't give to honor who he is and what he's about to do for me. That's what she's saying. She's also not saying some stuff. She's not saying Jesus, I'll worship you, but I got some conditions. Don't ask about my wallet. Don't ask about my bank account. Don't ask me to give. Don't even talk to me about tithing and offering. I don't want to hear that. She's not saying those kind of things. She's not saying, as long, I'll follow you as long as it doesn't cost me too much. She's saying, no cost, no sacrifice is too great. Devotion in any form or fashion is always accompanied by great sacrifice. If you're a parent here in this room, you know that to be true. Your kids from the very lowest age all the way up to mine are only teenagers right now. But I hear that even after they go to college, they still come back. And if they don't come back, they're still like causing you to sacrifice. Right. (laughs) School has only been in for four days. And, I've, you know, 
I've been giving out checks like every day. And this is not just a monetary thing. It's a sacrifice in terms of our time and our commitment and of our compassion and of our quality time. There's there's so much that we sacrifice as parents. Those of you that work in corporate America for the military, really any job that there's uh, that you're that you're in. I mean, you're, it's not just a job to you. You're in it because you want to be in it. You're gifted to do it. You're called to it. There's a sacrifice that you have to uh, uh, adhere to. That you have to be willing to give to be involved in that endeavor. And definitely, if you're a, devo- uh, a devoted disciple of Jesus Christ, uh, if you're someone that wants to be with Jesus uh, in order to be like Him, then our discipleship is marked by great sacrifice. Uh, A a life of devotion is marked by sacrifice, but it's also marked by humility. Let's read this verse again. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. Um, This is a familiar story. Those of you who have been in the church for a little bit, been a Christian for a little bit, you've read this story. And sometimes when we read a story, it can become also familiar that you miss the nuance of what's actually said. Um, and, and it's easy to, to, to just say, you know, yeah, this is Mary. This is the Mary that, that um, Mary of Bethany who, uh, who knelt down and used some ointment and just wiped, Jesus, uh, wiped her hair on Jesus' feet. And we can think that that's, that's, that's just what she did. But peel back the curtain. That, that's unusual, okay? It's, it would be unusual in our culture, right? It was actually very, very unusual in the first century uh, Judaish culture. Um, here's, there's a couple points here. Not that this, this was a, just uh, an intimate act. I'm getting to that. But here's the very obvious point. Feet stink, right? So you got stinky body odor, but also feet stink. Um, feet stink in any culture. They have from the beginning, you know, when God made Adam and Eve, their feet stank. I, I believe that, okay? And... Uh, I mean, case in point, um, uh, some of you know my family moved. We just moved. We moved like a mile away from Kingstown right over here to Hayfield Farms. And my wife and I are sharing a closet. Actually, it's my wife's closet. and She gave me this much space for all my clothes to fit in. And there's this high shelf that she can't do anything with because she can't reach it. And so I put some of my shoes there. Do you know she had a nerve? One day I walked in the closet. She had a nerve to put one of those those little glad inset things in there, and I can't. I was like, "What is that?" And, and that's not it. The next day, I came back. She had one on the top, and she had one on the lower level. It's like, what is she trying to say? What was she saying? Well, she was saying my shoes stank. But in order for my shoes to stink, that means my feet were stinking. Um, your pastor's feet stink, but yours stink too. Um, shoes, uh, feet stink in any culture, but particularly in this first-century Jewish culture. Uh, the, the feet of, of men were men, men and women were both disgusting and demeaning. So much so that the, it was written in the law. Even slaves who had to do all kinds of demeaning things weren't required to do anything with a person's feet. So this is what Mary does. Mary draws near to Jesus. She uses her hair to, to anoint his feet with oil. And what Mary is saying with this, it's just it's just. It's such a vulnerable act of humility here. She's saying the the lowest part of Jesus, because Jesus, I mean, he had the same feet. Jesus was completely human. His feet stank. The lowest part of Jesus is worth the highest honor 
that I can give him. I'm going to take my hair. The glory of a woman is her hair. It's, it's how God adorns you, ladies. I'm going to take the glory that God has given me, and I'm going to take the most expensive thing that my family has, and I'm going to wipe it on the lowest part of my Savior. She's saying, I'm willing to sacrifice any and everything to follow in the steps of my master. You know, a lot of times we, we mistake humility. Um, we, we get it wrong. We think that humility is saying, I'm a nobody, I'm worthless, I have no value. But that's not humility. That's just thinking lowly of yourself. Here's true, yeah, this is true humility. Not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking less about yourself. The very best book, the very best book I've, written, I've read on the, the topic of humility is C.J. Mahaney's book of the same title. It, he says it's humility. He says Jesus is the greatest demonstration of humility um, um, in that uh, he, the, the way that he lowered himself, like Philippians says, uh, God ushered him into in, in greatness. And so this is, this is humility. It's thinking less about yourself. CJ says humility is recognizing who you are in light of the holiness and the glory of God. He's up here. I'm down here. He's creator. I'm creature. True humility is being less preoccupied with yourself. It's a willingness to let go of your rights. It's a willingness to let go of your greatness before others. And I think that's what Mary does. So true devotion is marked by sacrifice. True devotion is marked by humility, but it's also marked by intimacy. Let's look at verse three one more time. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. This is an intimate act. Mary lets her hair down. And here's the point behind that. Culturally, a woman in first century Judean culture never let her hair down in public. This is a party and there's all kinds of people there. In fact, a woman, would, uh, a woman in this culture would not have let her hair down except in the privacy of her own home and oftentimes in the privacy of her, her, of her own bedroom with her husband. And so you can see the, uh, what she's doing is, is very intimate. Um, so much so, uh, there are some in this setting that think what Mary is doing is offensive. As we look at Mark's gospel that shares this same account, um, she's rebuked at this dinner party. She's scolded because they're thinking, I mean, what you're doing is it's offensive and it's also scandalous. They thought it was too sensual. You know, we live in a sexed up culture. Everything is sensual from selling cars on TV to uh, the, you all seen Hardy's commercials. I'm not a Hardy's hater. But they use sex to sell hamburgers and whatever Hardy sells. Um, and, and that really is the culture that we live in. You can't even check out of the grocery store without seeing magazines that have too much skin showing. Okay? And so that's the culture that we live in. Um, this was not what that was. This was an intimate scene, but it wasn't sexual. It was the kind of intimacy of you and your best friend or you and your spouse where you can, you can be yourself. You can, so to speak, let your hair down, not guard your words and be who you are without the worry of condemnation or someone questioning uh, what's going on in your your heart or what you're saying. So I think what 
and this is my favorite part of this. What's important is that true devotion is always marked by affection, by intimacy, and by demonstrations of love. And I think that's what we see in Mary. You know, and I look at my own life, and I know some of y'all, and this is, this is what, this is the deal with church folk. It's easy for us to fake the funk. I mean, we can, we can put on an act sometimes. Um, fake the funk, was that a foreign term? Y'all get that? All right. It's, it's like, I'm going to play like I'm doing this, but I'm not, my heart's not in it. And a lot of times we do this with, in our relationships with others, but we also do it with God. And, and you know, it, it, this, is, this is how it is with me. I can work. I can serve. I can sacrifice. I can give my time. I can even give my money. Um, I, I can put on an air of, of being humble, of not touting how good I am or how great things are going for me. But when it comes to this next phase of, of what Mary shows us, actually giving my heart to people, but more importantly to God, that's, that's the part that trips many of us up. We have a whole bunch of church people that are angry and bitter because they, they give a lot, they serve a lot, they even lower themselves and not try, they, they, they put on an air of humility, but they don't go the next step of giving their heart to Jesus. And it makes them angry and bitter. Why? Because they don't, it, when we give our heart to Jesus, it's reciprocal. We, we by faith give him all that we have. And the neat thing is he gives us all the Holy Spirit that we need to change us and make us more like him. That's, that's just what he does. Here's the important thing about this. This is what God is calling us to. He's calling us to an intimate encounter with his presence. And I would tell you what we see in Mary is that everything turns on affection. And that what, that's what makes this, this scene so special. That's what makes her act towards Jesus so special. True mission flows from communion with God. That means when you're really doing things from God, you're not doing it because for doing it's sake, you're not doing it to look good. You're not doing it just to serve because you can get tired just doing that. You're doing it because God has put something in you that, that you're doing it out of a heart of worship. I'll do anything for Jesus. And that's what Mary's doing. God wants our heart. And that's what that's what Mary's saying. Jesus, you've got my heart. You got it all. Jesus shares a story that gets to this kind of affection in Matthew 13, verse 44. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. And this is really a demonstration. of This is this is what Mary does. Mary found a field. She went out into it. And guess what the field was? The, the, the treasure in the field is Jesus. And she says, Jesus all that I got, all of me, but every every ounce of anything of value that I have, I'm going to sell it just to get this field. In other words, Jesus, I'll do anything to be in your presence. Now, here's the thing. Um, some of you are listening to me. You're identifying with Mary. And it's like, yeah, 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 I get it. God's, I, I hear it. I, I need to do I need I need to be devoted to Jesus like this. I want to do the thing that Mary's doing. I really do want it. There's a few of y'all is like, I don't want that. <laughs> I don't want that at all. I mean, come on. Can we be honest? I don't want that at all. And so I'm going to talk to you that would I'm going to talk to you just for a couple of seconds. Those of you that would say, you know what? I just I don't know if I want to experience Jesus and this life of devotion quite like that. 
And I would just offer to you, there are two enemies of devotion, and we see them in the text, and you see it because it says it. It's rooted in Jesus, uh, rooted in Judas, Jesus, I'm sorry. It's rooted in, in Judas. In fact, the challenge is that we are far more, far more like Judas than we are ever like Mary. And this is not an, an indictment or a rebuke on on our devotion or the things that we try to give to, to God, but rather it's an invitation. It's an invitation uh, to put off our all the ways that we are like Judas in this text and, uh, of course, how we see him in Scripture and to receive the life that God is giving us instead of the, the choice of death. Verse 4 and 5. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, who was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? So uh, the first lie or the enemy of devotion is moderation. And this is what moderation says. Moderation says following Jesus is good and great, but don't go over the top. It's like don't be like those animal lovers who would spend thousands of dollars that could be going to anything else. But, you know, uh, an animal that, that doesn't bring you anything anyway. This is the sentiment of those who say, you know, I'll come to church, but don't expect me to come every week because I got, you know, I got things to do. This is the sentiment of those who say, I'll give, but don't expect me to give sacrificially because I got things to pay for in my own life. This is the sentiment of those that say, I'll participate in a missions project maybe one time, but don't expect me to live a life devoted to missions or a missional lifestyle, trying to reach my neighbors and those at work and, and those that I play around, because that's just way over the top. That's, that's taking it beyond where I can go. And I would tell you just those three examples. That's the lie of moderation. What do we see in Mary? Mary doesn't measure her sacrifice with a little eyedropper trying to squeeze out a little drop of devotion to Jesus. She measures her sacrifice by breaking that bottle completely open, and she pours all of it out. I think moderation is good for some things, obviously, drinking, food, um, perhaps even exercise. I think we can overdo it in exercise in our culture. We, we are obsessed with exercise in the culture that we live in. But I don't think any moderation is good when it comes to Jesus. Jesus calls for our full devotion. The, the, the first entitlement is uh, the first lie is a lie of moderation. The second lie is a lie of entitlement. I'm going to write a sermon one day on, I'm going to do a series on, on uh, entitlement. Anybody that's uh, born between 60 and 80, 1960 and 1980, we're Generation X, and we are the entitlement generation. That means our parents were baby boomers. They worked hard to build America, and our parents made one mistake. They gave us too much. And so we think that everything in life is entitled to us. And unfortunately, We've done the same thing to our kids, and our kids have grown up, and they believe that, hey, my dad and mom, they're just going to give it to me. I don't have to work for it. Y'all got quiet. <laughs> so that's what Judas is saying here. Judas is essentially saying, God, you owe me, all right? You owe me just to hang around you, Jesus. I'll carry your money back, but I'm going to help myself to it because you owe me. And so this really is a picture of entitlement. An entitlement mentality says the rules don't apply to me. They apply to you. An entitlement mentality says it's OK for me to ask you for favors, but don't you ask me for anything. An entitlement mentality says my agenda matters, but I don't really care about yours. And 
all of us here, we wouldn't say those things out loud, but sometimes in our actions, that's the way we operate. And entitlement is not just restricted to one generation. It's not just the generation X like my generation. It, it's, it crosses generations. It's a problem for all of us. So what do we see here? We see a contrast between Mary and Judas, and it's really two la- uh, radical ways of, of living life. One's a way of devotion. The other is really a way of, of faking the funk. That's why I don't, know, I don't even know how to say it other than that. I mean, Judas is just faking. He's there going through the flow in the background, trying to remain unseen, but he's not being true to who, who he is, nor to um, his, his love or devotion to Jesus. Mary encounters Jesus and draws near to him and gives all of herself to him. Judas, ha- Judas really hasn't experienced Jesus at all. He hasn't experienced new life nor new birth that Mary seems to have experienced. Judas uh, approaches Jesus to get from Jesus. Mary approaches Jesus and makes a costly sacrifice of worship. Judas comes to Jesus and counts pennies, literally. Mary comes to Jesus and says, I owe you my all. Judas comes to Jesus and says, you owe me. Now, as we sum this, this text up, the temptation would be uh, the moral route of saying, all right, I see it. All right, I should be like Mary and not like Judas. Right? I mean, that's, sometimes we read the Bible like that. I, this is the moral of the story. Be like Mary. Don't be like Jesus. And if you do, you'll go to heaven when you die and all will be hunky-dory. All right? That would be the wrong interpretation of this text. Because this text is, is leading us somewhere else. This text is trying to get us to see that, honestly, even Mary in her devotion is not enough. Because there's a war for you and I in regards to our devotion. And we see that starting in verse 7. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have, uh, you'll not always have me. And so all this drama is unfolding. The perfume is in the air. Everyone is aghast at these actions that Mary takes. And of course, Judas, because he's Judas, he says what everybody else is thinking. He's like, Mary, why the waste? And Jesus speaks up. Jesus sets everybody at ease. And he says, bag up, Judas. He's like, uh, leave Mary alone. And really what he's doing is he's, 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 He's saying two things. Firstly, he's saying, Judas, you don't know me. You've been hanging around me, but you haven't encountered me the way Mary has. And honestly, she has life. You don't have true life in God. And what it looks like we're at a, resurre- uh, at a resurrection party. But really, this is more than that. Mary is using Mary is performing a ritual that will prepare me for my very burial, a burial that will happen in only a few days. The second thing he's saying is, you're right, Judas. It's important for us to care for the poor. That, that's a crucial thing that we have to do. But here's the thing. You're going to have the poor for you forever, but you won't have me forever. In fact, this is the most important thing for you. Uh, worship has to come before, uh, before mercy. Worship, your worship of the one true God here, right here in your midst, has to come before mercy. You know, as a church, we do a lot of merciful acts that are nothing but just getting busy for Jesus we feel sentimental about things going on in the world, feed the poor, you know, starving people around the world. A lot of times what we do in response comes out of our mercy. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, 
when you when your start point is devotion and worship, the natural manifestation is that you would give mercy. Why? Because Jesus is merciful. And when we have his spirit in us, he's going to make us like him. He's going to make us merciful. All right. I can say a whole lot more there. Verse nine. When the large crowd, uh, when the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. And I, I think just in a nutshell, verse nine through 11, it, it, it explains to us the war. You have all these people gathered. Some are onlookers. They're, they're just mesmerized at what had gone on with Lazarus. They want to see a man who had died and who, who somebody had brought back to life. But they also want to see Jesus, the, the, the spectacle of Jesus. But then you have this other group of people, these religious people that are just upset. They're upset that, that Jesus is still alive. They're upset that people are mesmerized at the work of God that he's doing. And they're upset because they're high holy church people, re- religious people. And this Jesus who everybody is paying attention to doesn't meet their criteria for a Messiah. And so what do they want to do? They want to take him out. They want to kill Jesus. But they also want to kill Jesus. They want to kill any ounce of devotion to Jesus. And right now, the star witness is Lazarus. Let's take Lazarus out because he's the one stirring up all this devotion. And when we take him out, there'll be no more witness of him. And then we get rid of this guy who claims he's the Messiah. That's what's going on. And so what's the what's the the battle? What's the war going on for our devotion? It's this idea that the religious people have that um, that Jesus isn't worthy, that he's not who he says he is, and that we shouldn't come to him in the way that Mary has come to him and, and worship him in the way that, that Mary has. Um, Lazarus is an, is an interesting individual. There's nothing really great about Lazarus that happens in this text. There's not even any words recorded that Lazarus says that would make us cheer him on. But here's the, here's the cool thing. It's not... Uh, what Lazarus does for Jesus that makes him important is what Jesus does for Lazarus. But I would tell you, the very thing that Jesus does for Lazarus, he also does for all of you in the room that call yourselves Christians. What's that? He brings you to life. Think about chapter 11. Jesus goes to a grave, a grave where a, man, a, a tomb where a man had been laying for four days, and he says some some very loud words. He says, come forth. And what happens is a dead body comes to life. And a man who's wrapped in uh, the, the, the clothes of a corpse comes out wrapped in those uh, corpse clothes, and he tells them to unbind him. And so they unbind Lazarus. They, in other words, everything that ties him down his sin, and all those ways that he's far from God. Jesus unravels that from Lazarus' life and frees him to be a true worshiper of God. And you know what? He does that same thing for you. Ephesians 1 says that when we're dead in our trespasses and sin, God, by his glory, calls us to newness of life. How does he do that? He dies by by willingly going to the cross in our place for our sin. And so the, the death that Jesus dies, he dies 
He dies for all the pitiful ways that we're supposed to be devoted, but that we aren't. All the diluted ways that we have heartily come to God and say, Lord, I'll serve you. But then we turn around and we go the opposite way. Jesus dies for all for all those things. Jesus death on the cross was a victory over Satan and over sin and over the war of the devotion of our hearts. You know, every time we every day you wake up, you're in a war and it's a war for what's going to get your devotion. And some days, all the things that are out in the world actually win. Like right now, we're at the closing point of my sermon. It's Sunday. What do we do? We go out to eat. It's first week of NFL football. You got the U.S. Open semifinal between the number one player in the world and second. That's, these are things going through my mind right now. And I'm the one preaching the sermon, right? So God knows what y'all are thinking. Like, when would just shut up? Right? This is a war over our devotion. And that happens not just when we gather, but every day of your life. And this is what Jesus has done. Jesus has already won that war. Jesus has um, for you sacrificed his life for all those ways that the Old Testament tells us to bring extravagant worship to God. The sacrifice of animals and blood to purify us and forgive us of our sin. Jesus comes once and for all and he raises his hands on a cross and he dies in our place for our sin. For all the ways that we're supposed to be devoted to God, but that in our in our hypocrisy, we just miss it. We fail to do it. And that's just a good God. And so you guys know the rest of the story. Judas, uh, we're going to get to this in, in a few weeks. Jesus, uh, Judas eventually kills himself because of a life of regret. Whereas Mary was sold out for Jesus, Judas sold out Jesus to the religious establishment. But what we should, what we should see in regards to, to Judas is that his suicide, you know, him going and hanging himself on a tree, that wasn't just a one-time event. There were several actions building up to that. It was an ongoing process where uh, a choice was, was given to him every day. Judas, you got life or you got death. Which one are you going to choose? And I would tell you, that's the same thing. that We, we have those same options. We have the options of, of life and death. Here's a couple of options. The merry option is demonstrate a life of sacrifice, humility, and intimate devotion to Jesus. Here's the other option. Be like Judas. And I don't want to vilify Judas because Judas is just like us. And here's how, here's how Judas is just like us. He's, he's just part of the status quo. He's waking up, and instead of purposely giving his devotion to Jesus, he wakes up and he's thinking, all right, what can I do to satisfy myself? Judas wakes up and he lives life in the shadows. He's going along with the flow. Those are the two options. But here's the invitation. Jesus invites us to live in his presence. He's opened up a way for us to be devoted followers of him. He's taken all of our pitiful devotion and he's crucified himself to a cross for it. We deserve the punishment because of our hypocrisy, yet Jesus takes it upon himself so that we can step into life with God. Let's pray. Lord God, would that you would make us like Mary, not from a moral sense, but from a true sense that we would encounter Jesus who presents himself as
is God, the second person of the Trinity. Would that you would incline us to see in Jesus someone worthy of our our greatest sacrifice, all those things that are valuable to us, not just money, but our time, of our commitment, of our service. Would that God would make us people who would lower ourselves in humility to the greatness of Jesus. That in Mary's example, we would see him high and lifted up. And even the most debased part of him, we would come and give the highest honor, everything that we have. Would that we would be people who would be intimate with Jesus, not in a sexual, sensual way, but in a way that allows us to metaphorically let down our hair, be ourselves, and and love the God who loves us more. Jesus, even as we say these words, we love you. We need your help. Help us, Lord. Help us not to treat this passage as another moral story of a person who, who needed Jesus more than he needed them. Lord, help us to see ourselves, even in Judas' life and purpose, to cry out to God for help. Help us, Lord, to love you. We pray that in Jesus' name.